The 233rd edition of the Four Corners Podcast starts right now. From the Basketball Podcast Network, this is the Four Corners Podcast. We win! 54 to 53! North Carolina did it! North Carolina wins the championship! With 20 seconds left to play, goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left, good! Fred Brown looking, oh, wait a worthy! Worthy five! The Tar Heels are going to win the national championship! Weber front court, Carolina with foul, he takes the timeout, they're out foul. of timeout! Technical foul! Technical foul on Michigan, they're out of timeout! And the party is ready to begin on Franklin Street. Gets it back out to head. Long outside shot. Short rebounded. May. It's over. Carolina has won the national championship. 89-72. And how about them Tar Heels? They are the national champion. Pump fake for three. Too strong on the shot. That's it. The Tar Heels are the national gaggum champion. Love guarded by Keels, gets a screen, pulls up for three. Got it! Caleb from straight away! Here are your hosts, Josh Marlowe and Anthony Pagnotta. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. Josh and Anthony, we're back with you guys once again today here to recap Carolina's 68-59 defeat last night to Virginia in the ACC quarterfinal and a loss that probably ends the season for the Tar Heels. We knew coming into this ACC tournament that Carolina had to go on a pretty significant run to make the final or to make the NCAA tournament. Whether that meant winning the ACC tournament altogether or at least getting to the ACC tournament final, and picking up a few more quad one wins along the way to really give themselves a chance to go dancing. And um, that opportunity was cut short last night. As as Carolina just, as they've done all season long, the one thing this team has done since the season began was be consistently inconsistent. Because a team that we saw the night before against Boston College um didn't didn't even show up last night and it's it's really frustrating because i thought you know we we both picked this team to win this tournament because it was their last chance to to come together and 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 try to salvage what has become a a pretty lost season here and, you know, we looked at the matchups and we really liked what we saw on paper. And, you know, especially once Virginia suffered a, a pretty massive injury to their rotation, starting a guy who's never started in the ACC, I even liked Carolina's chances that much more. Um, and, look, Carolina came in banged up. I mean, Armando Baycott was a shell of himself, and that was evident by him taking himself out of the game with 10 minutes to go in the second half. but. I mean, even besides that, the team we saw the night before that played consistently hard, that played really good offense, that did all the little things you got to do to to win this event, just wasn't wasn't on the court last night. Um, you know, Carolina started out 
defensively really great. Um, at, at the under twelve timeout, they were winning the game seven to five, and they found themselves trailing at halftime twenty five twenty four, and then in the second half against Virginia, they gave up forty three points on fifty eight percent shooting. That just can't happen. It it just it can't happen with as much as is is on the line as there was last night. And, you know, R.J. Davis battled his tail off. He fought hard all night. He's the best player on the court between both, between both teams, if you ask me. He scored 24 points, was 8 of 14 shooting, 4 of 8 from 3. But, I mean, he missed, big, he missed a big free throw. Carolina missed five free throws altogether. And there was just never a sense of urgency displayed on the court that needed to be there last night for this team to win. They had to play desperate. They had to play as if their life was on the line. And as has been the custom far too long with this core, this team looked disinterested, looked unaffected by uh, the what the result was going to be. And that's why, you know, that was a lifeless locker room in the postgame to conclude what is what has been a frustrating season, to, to say the least, and, and, a, and a season that leads to a lot of questions that have to be answered this offseason by Hubert Davis and his coaching staff. Yeah, it's – I mean, this was basically the first game all over again, and – I mean, it shouldn't really come as much of a shock because that first game that they played against Virginia was where they didn't have Armando Baycott. He only played one minute. Now, he played a lot more in this game than he did in that one, but he just wasn't effective, and Carolina just did not have any way to counter that. Um, you know, Virginia just did a tremendous job of creating turnovers, Carolina forced just six on their end, turned the ball over 11, uh, 11 times, and Virginia scored 14 points off of those 11 turnovers. That was one of the big things. It's, I mean, it's big every time that we talk about this game. And they had stretches in, in this game where they simply could not stop turning the basketball over. Dude, they, they turned the ball over four straight times all by veteran players. Yeah, and I mean, it's just that that is bad enough. We've seen it at other times this year. That's bad enough when you play other teams. When you play this team, I mean, it's just it, it is impossible to recover from that. And that was where Carolina started to fall apart, and they never really they never really responded to it fully. You know, they got it back to two multiple times in the second half. And every time they would get back to that point, they would let up a basket on the other end. They would come down and take a bad shot or turn the ball over. And Virginia would respond. And yeah, I mean, they shoot 58% in the second half. That just simply cannot happen. And is very reminiscent of what you saw in the first matchup. And yeah, I mean, it's 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 just, it is incredibly frustrating because the way that you played the night before, and I get it, man. Boston College is not a great team by any stretch of the imagination. But one thing that we've seen all year from them 
that Earl Grant's got those dudes doing is, is they're going to play hard and they're going to fight. And they have given a lot of teams hell throughout this conference season. And, you know, the reason you do, here's the thing. You can say the reason why we picked this team to, to win this conference tournament, because we are dumbasses. That's the reason why we picked them to win this conference tournament. We are complete morons because we believed that this team would finally respond that they, because there's no, there's no doubt that this team is capable. People trying to say this team is not capable. No, they showed last year that they are capable of getting the job done. It's just this year, no matter how many times that we said, okay, this is where we feel like they can turn it on. They just, they never did. And as you said, we love the matchups that they had in this tournament. And this was one of the ones that we loved the most because we said, okay, you know, you nearly beat them the first time without Armando and Pete in that game. Pete Nance did not play in that game. And we still almost found a way to win that game on the road. Then bring them back to our place, beat them just like we did a year ago, very similar fashion where we dominated the game and we played them in the ACC tournament last year and we dominated them there. We thought that was going to be the same thing that happened in this game. Maybe not dominated them with Armando banged up, but I mean... It was not out of the realm of possibility that this team could win this game. And if you would have told me that you got 24 from R.J. Davis, I would have told you, yeah, they they win this game. You know, I I think, I mean, I I just, I I just don't I I don't know how to explain what the hell keeps keep kept going wrong for this team because this. This season is over, guys. Like, if if they don't make the NCAA tournament, they are not playing in the NIT. They should play in the NIT. I think they should personally, but I don't. I th- this is a team that is just defeated. That is relieved that the season is over. That can't wait to not have to play with this group of guys again and I mean look before the run last year it didn't seem like the most cohesive group there's no doubt about that but you thought after the run last year this would be a group that would be tight-knit looking back on it I mean if they wanted to stay you know one of the tighter groups in, in Carolina history and one that'll come back and be celebrated and, and you know be be lifelong friends cutting up laughing going all you know all these sorts of games whenever the team makes the final four going back and watching the team they should have all just left after last year because I'm I'm going to be honest most of these guys will probably not talk to each other after this season yeah it's um i i mean i, I don't I don't think we're idiots for picking them to to win the turn to win this tournament. 
I think it's what we do as fans. And it's something that <laughs> we're we, homers. We're homers. We'll own it. It's not that. Like, I don't think of myself as a homer. Like, I, I by the way, fun. but here's dude, being a homer at times is not a bad thing. That means like that the, you love your team and you want them to win so badly that you 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 will put on blinders at times and ignore the issues, which I think we we did it multiple times this year. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing is, is that I just really thought it was the message was was going to be communicated after the Duke loss, and that message was is we have to we have to play deep into this tournament or our season is over, and I expected there to be a level of desperation. Four days. You got it for one day. That that effort was there on Wednesday. Arguably the best game Carolina's played probably all season long. But as they have all season long, they haven't been able to build off of really anything positive. And that's why they found themselves where they found themselves, you know, losing the game. And then that post-game, that post-game locker room. From what's being reported from guys that you've heard on this very podcast and guys that I have the utmost respect for, guys like Josh Graham, guys like Brendan Marks, the way they were describing that locker room almost has me more disgusted than the fact that Carolina got beat and the season's pretty much over. Because had that been a locker room that was distraught, that was... Um, really hurt by the fact that they failed. And that's that's what this team did. This team failed. And they fell flat on their faces. But that wasn't the case. This was this was a locker room that as you mentioned that just seemed relieved that this this was over, that the burden was over. And I think what really just frustrates me more than anything, like than anything, uh, more than anything, is that every season that you play basketball at the University of North Carolina, while it's not a burden, there's a responsibility. And that responsibility is to uphold the standard of the last 60 plus years of basketball excellence. That's what is that is what is expected of you. That is what is demanded of you. And that is what is required of you. And so with that, yeah, you've got to burden the, you know, you, you got to take that as a burden. But that burden should fuel you. It should motivate you. And it should drive you to become the best individually basketball player you can be, while it also molds into the best collective team that you can be. And you would think that with as close as they got last season, that would have not been a question this year. And truth be told, we should have panicked in November. I opted not to because I thought it was a team that was adjusting to not having Pete Nance on the court. I thought it was a team that was was trying to learn how to play with expectations of others that were much higher than what they have experienced 
their first two seasons in Chapel Hill. And truth be told, this just isn't a good basketball team. This was a flawed roster that a second-year head coach that, yes, took you to with the brink of, of a national championship, didn't know how to fix. And I think that's, you know, we, we, we have a lot of discussions at work with guys that we work with that are, are Tar Heel fans and stuff. And it was always going to be hard to top what this team did last year. Mm-hmm. You were going to have a hard time in a, in a lot of people's minds, even if this team won the national championship, probably wouldn't have celebrated the way we celebrated that win in Cameron Indoor Stadium and that win over Duke in the Final Four. Well, uh, and, that's, and I so mean, that's, that, that's a little ridiculous. I got to And be so honest. with that, what I'm trying to say is, is that it's just they shouldn't the what you're trying to say is these dudes should not have come back well it's just it's really it's really hard that you got you did a lot of great things a year ago like or you did a lot of great things in 6 weeks you won two of the biggest games in the history of the greatest rivalry in sports the second one arguably the biggest game in the history of college basketball and what sucks is is that you fell short and you fell short in the national title game. Like, had you beaten Duke in the, the, the sweet 16 or the elite eight and then bowed out in the final four or whatever, I don't think this really hurts all as bad as it hurts right now. But instead you take down your rival, you retire the greatest villain the sports ever seen. And then the next night, you're trying to exercise another demon against another program that has owned you in the in the tournament since Roy Williams left that program to come back home, and instead you blow the biggest lead in the history of the national title game. And truth be told, they had a they had a hangover effect all off season long while getting praise from you, me, and the like. And I'm not going to sit here and regret celebrating what that team did a year ago. I said that after, I think it was after the Duke loss last week. Like the best part about that run was that it reminded us why we're here. It reminded us, it reminded us why we love Carolina basketball. And we had come around to the idea that these kids had finally bought in and had two feet in and understood what it took and how special it is to play here. And it it never connected this year. This this year, as, as Armando Baycott said, this year was spent talking about last year. And that's that's a really hard pill to swallow because you did a lot of great things at the end of last year. You still came up short. And the fact that that didn't fuel this team the way it should have fueled this team all season long speaks to a, a character problem that exists within the core of this group that will have as complicated a legacy as any recruiting class in the history of the program. I mean, seriously, I I have no idea. I, I mean, I'm telling you, if, if 
they brought this team back in two years to celebrate them. They, I don't know what would happen. I don't know if they would be celebrated, if they would be booed. I just, I have no idea. Like, if for some, like, clearly it'd be different because, you know, you do have guys, you have someone like Brady Manic there. If Brady Manic couldn't be there for some reason, I'm telling you, I think there might be people that may actually boo these guys, which is sad, but it just shows you how complicated it's going to be trying to discuss this team. And really, it's going to be a lot of the players too, man. Like, we talk about Armando Baycott, and we were talking about how he's in that upper echelon of big men all time. I mean, this season does not help that argument at all. And the way that it finished up, and the thing, the one thing about Armando is, and I mean, you know, you got to respect him for everything that he did here or has done here. I mean, at this point, I think if you listen to that press conference last night, you would imagine, you, you would think he's probably gone. Um, I don't know because he just, he did just sign a new NIL deal the other day. But I mean, that seems like a dude that's just kind of, kind of over it. You know, and I don't know if he's over certain players on the team. I think, you know, what he was kind of, what was saying, if you listen to his press conference, because he had more comments right after that about uh, what when he said about last year uh, or this year being focused on last year, it seems like there are certain guys in the locker room that took that mindset and ran with it. There's other guys that were trying to say, hey, we need to focus on this year. I think a lot of what it was, I think there are a lot of guys in this locker room that probably felt like most of the fan base felt. You know what? These losses are bad. It sucks that we had two four-game losing streaks, but we know that we're capable of turning it on when it matters. And as we said early in the season, we said it multiple times too, it is not that easy to just out of nowhere flip that switch. You did a year ago, and nobody is going to take away that run from you. Carolina has two of the greatest runs as an eighth seed in the history of the NCAA tournament. But there's a reason that teams don't do that every year. It is way too hard. And the other part of that recipe that we talked about going all the way back to the preseason was that this team could not get back there playing five, six guys. And for a majority of the season, it looked like Carolina was going to have more guys that could contribute. But due to the fact that your bench was incredibly young, which I don't think we took into account in the preseason. You had guys that came in and simply are not ready to contribute. And guess what? Their recruiting rankings show you they are not ready to contribute. They, they are guys that ranked outside of the top 35 recruits in the country. Those are guys that are going to take a little bit of time before they are able to contribute in a big way. And then Puff Johnson 
You know, we thought he was going to take a step forward this year. Problem for Pup. And the reason why I don't think he will ever be that guy off the even off the bench for you, let alone a full-time starter, is he, there is just no time where he can ever build himself up. He he is not, I am convinced at this point that he will just not be able to play a full season. He he does not have that luck. The knees have have just been killing him since he got here. It seems like every year he picks up a knee injury at some point. And there's other times, too, where he gets banged up. And then the great mystery will be Dontrez Styles. But at the same time, and look, man, we're going to talk about Hubert coming up here. One of the biggest issues that Hubert had and one of my biggest issues with Hubert this year was the rotation. This man tried to run this like an NBA rotation. And I wonder, when it comes to that side of things, how involved Pat Sullivan was with that because we know that he's a guy that has the NBA background. That was one of the reasons that Hubert wanted him here. And that's just, you, you cannot play that way. You cannot have rotations that are based off of matchups because it doesn't allow guys to build any sort of continuity. It doesn't allow them to, get themselves in any sort of rhythm on the offensive end of the floor. And that was the area where Carolina needed these guys to step up and play better. Last year, because of what you got from your starters as the season went along, when you brought your bench guys in as sparingly as you did, you didn't really need them to be offensive threats. It was very rare that they had to be offensive threats. You just needed them to not turn the ball over, and help you out on the defensive end of the floor. This year, that was not the case. And without that bench being there, this this was just a team that, that was not able to take the step that it needed. And then everybody else, besides R.J. Davis, in some way, took a step back this season. For some guys, like Armando, pretty minimal step back. For a guy like Caleb Love, monumental step back. And you just, you you are, you are not getting to, you're not getting anywhere close to where you, you set your expectations. That's the other thing. Armando said in the postgame, and it made, this one, this one really pissed me off. Because, I mean, look, man, Armando has never, it doesn't seem like Armando's ever really been like this. And the fact that he basically said the media was the one that was hyping this team up. You guys literally made videos. You said at media day, your goals, the reason you came back was to win a national championship. You were one rebound away. You set those expectations for yourself. It was not, yes, people in the media believed that and thought that you guys were capable of that. But you set your own goal in the preseason. So how do you get mad that then people hold you to that standard? That was the only reason you told us you were coming back. So I don't get how that is on the media and the fan base for believing that and not being happy when that criteria isn't met, let alone making the tournament. It's um, 
it's it's really it's really hard to explain and it's why that locker room was was the way that it was last night because they have no other they have no other way to explain what happened and right now the biggest issue that exists within the program is there's a lack of accountability that starts at the top that's coach that's coach and player led that's coach and player driven and you know look coach davis is a second year head coach so he's got to find his own way and figure out how he wants to do things but accountability isn't something that you should have to learn not when you sat beside a, a coach that that's all he did was hold his players accountable publicly privately and more importantly on the court and uh, that didn't happen this year. You allowed inefficient play, stupid play for far too long of stretches, and there was no consequences ever ever served. And if you if you don't feel like you can bench your kids and they respond in a positive manner, that's that's how you know you have the wrong kid. That's how you know that those aren't the type of kids you want to coach because that means that they're not coachable, that they're not willing to learn from their mistakes. And they're 18 to 22-year-olds, so they're going to mess up. They need to have someone to go sit on that bench and instruct them what they did wrong and how they can fix it. Let's take a look at the box score. Um Carolina shot 36%. They were 19 of 53. Virginia shot 49% from the field. They were 24 of 49. As I mentioned, 58% in the second half. Uh, Carolina, 8 of 27 from behind the three-point line. So just 30%. But, I mean, if you'd have told me they got eight makes, even on 27 attempts, I would have – I would have believed a lot more than than probably going in that they would have won the game with with eight made three pointers. Uh, Virginia was four of fifteen from three. Carolina thirteen of eighteen from the foul line. Virginia sixteen of twenty two. You mentioned eleven Tar Heel turnovers led to fourteen Virginia points. Six Virginia turnovers led to just two points for the Heels. Carolina won the rebounding margin thirty four twenty nine. It was even on the defensive glass, but ten to five on the offensive glass. Uh, they did they did outscore them second chance points thirteen to seven. Bench went the favor of Virginia ten five. Um, points in the paint went Virginia's way twenty eight twenty. Fast break points Virginia's way eleven two. Blocks went Virginia's way eight to two. Steals Virginia's way eight five. Carolina eleven assists on nineteen made baskets. So, you know, something they've struggled with all year long is with their their assist their their assist rate. Last night, you know, well above fifty percent on their assist on their assisted baskets. Meanwhile, Virginia eleven assists on their twenty four made baskets. The game was tied one time, one lead change. Um, Carolina led for exactly eleven minutes. Virginia led for twenty seven minutes, twenty four seconds. Take you now to some quotes from the game. We're going to start with Hubert Davis, um, something that, you know, he addressed a few weeks ago, but he was asked about this again last night after the season came to an end and his 
It was uh, did, did the outside noise and the weight and expectation of others play a role in, in what this team didn't accomplish this season? And here's what the head coach of the Tar Heels had to say. The reality is, you know, when you're speaking to a group in the locker room and I've, you know, communicated to them that it's I'm talking to more than um, 18 guys in the locker room. I'm talking to roughly 35 to 40 people. Um, and so, yes, there's at times uh, the noise, whether it's from the phone, the family, the friends, the fans, the agents, the workout guys, um, I think at times um, really hurt us. You, you know, because of what we do for a living, we get a we get a unique experience and, and, and an up close view at these at these guys and i was at acc media day i sat with coach davis i sat with caleb love i sat with rj davis and in october they didn't seem overwhelmed they they actually looked poised uh controlled on on, on a mission to to do what 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 was expected of them, which was to come back and win a national championship. But I also don't think that Hubert Davis was wrong. I do think that the weight put on them by themselves, and this is something Josh Graham told me back in the preseason, a guy you will hear from in this offseason. He told me on this podcast, I worry publicly how they will handle this if they don't achieve their goals. Because they made it known. You had four players announce their return with four videos saying, the job's not finished. We're coming back to win the national championship. And he just said, look, I don't think it's going to happen. He goes, and I don't know how they're going to handle that. Well, we learned. They weren't tough enough to handle the criticism that came their way with two four-game losing streaks within the season. It's weren't tough enough. And, you know, when it comes to some of the other stuff with their at least players' circles and stuff like that, that's part of that is that's this that's this era of college athletics with NIL and, and that stuff coming to the forefront. But you've also got to be able to control that. And that's what separates the good coaches from the great coaches is you have total control of what goes on within your program. And, you know, you've kind of brought up maybe this idea, this, this notion that maybe he doesn't have the respect of the players as a head coach, maybe because they were recruited by him as a, as an assistant, they still just kind of view him as, you know, the good cop to coach Williams as bad cop. I don't want to think that because if if that's if that's how they think I don't know I don't really know how you change their opinion when you took them to the national title game. So but there's got to be there's got to there's got to come a point to where th- this thing is th- this is a pl- this is a program about the players. That's how Coach Smith wanted it to be. So it's it's always been about the players. But 
it's about the players after it's about the program itself. And so you've got to you've got to get these these players to understand that yes, it's we want you to achieve individually, but your individual success has to be a part of team success. It has to be a part of what we do as a collective. Because as Dick Vitale has said many, many times, when he talks about the Carolinas, the Dukes, the Kansases, the you know, the Indianas, the Kentuckys, if you take care of the name on the front of the jersey, then that then that name will take care of the back. And you've you've got to get the right blend of yes, I'm not saying I don't want these kids to you know, explore NIL opportunities because that should have been afforded to them really since the NCAA became a thing. They never should have been hindered from being a student athlete. But it's also got to come where it's not it's not the main thing. And you're taking care of your work on the court as much as you're taking care of your work when you're meeting with these business partners. And so I think in a lot of ways, this year was a learning experience because there just wasn't a whole lot that you could have you could have really done. It was just kind of set in stone, really from from word go. This this was a group that got praised all summer long by the media and by its fan base, and there was no there was no changing that, which leads us to that audio cut we've referenced from Armando Baycott, where he talks about how this year was really all about talking about what this team did last year. Armando, what, what do you think the biggest reason is this season didn't live up to expectations? Um, I don't know. I mean, maybe, I guess, I don't really know, honestly. I mean, that's maybe a question I can answer maybe a week from now or something. But, yeah, I don't know. I really just can't. It's definitely something we all didn't imagine. I mean, Yes, we all just weren't good enough individually. Can you compare this year to last year? I, it's such a stark contrast, it's kind of hard to imagine. I mean, how do you kind of view that contrast? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, really the story of this year was just talking about last year. I feel like this kind of all we heard from y'all, stuff we look back on. I think it was just uh, overdue, long hangover. Did it kind of poison the year in a way, or is it just kind of coincidence? Mm, both. Yeah. I think the uh, the worst part about his statement is that um, he said we didn't get better individually. That's that's a pretty telling sign because usually you say we didn't get better as a team. Well, they could never get they could never get better as a team because they were never together as a team. This was a group that showed up game one disconnected. And, you know, I've had some conversations with the P1 of the show many a times. There's an obvious disconnect that exists between Caleb Love and RJ Davis. And we don't know what that disconnect is. It may be that it stems to some stuff that was alleged when this team went to Cameron Indoor Stadium and their personal lives got put on the floor, you know, right there on the forefront on national television. It kind of was squashed, and they said that that wasn't it. But there's definitely a disconnect that still existed between 
those two. But the biggest disc and the biggest reason why this team struggled is because they didn't have a floor leader. They didn't have someone on the court to get them organized, to get them settled down, and more importantly, to hold them accountable. And that's something that's gotta that's that's gotta change. This this sport is too dependent on guard play and leadership from your lead guard. And Carolina never had that. They got good play from R.J. Davis. They got good play at times from Caleb Love, but they never got leadership from them. And they haven't had that in years. You know, so when I heard when I heard Armando Baycott say we didn't get better individually, that was it's a really hard thing to listen to because you're supposed to get better as a team. And as you're getting better as a team, that means you're getting better individually while also collectively. But truth be told, this team showed up game one against UNC Wilmington disconnected, dismembered, and broken. And I think they knew that before the season even started. I I, I really do. I think yep. they knew right away we're not meshing. And I don't think there was really anything Coach Davis could have done to save them from sinking the ship. I'm telling you, man. I, I mean, at this point, I mean, you you might as well just, just, I mean, name a baseline or something after Brady Manning. Because this dude, I mean, I'm telling you, and, and and people think I'm joking when I say this. I brought it up earlier today, uh, when I was when I was on the air with the morning show that I'm 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 the producer for. I I literally said he might be the most important player to a team in Tar Heel basketball history because we've seen what this team is without him. And holy crap, I do not want to see this team ever again look like they have looked this season. Because this is the most disconnected group I have ever seen in my life. Like, I I, I mean, clearly, being that I was younger, I did not watch the 09-10 team with as much conviction as I do now. So I don't really know how disjointed that team was. Matt Doherty's final team in 0102. I don't I I like I don't know how disjointed that I I I don't know. But this team, you're you're right, man. There was just there was never, never a time where you felt confident that this team was working well together. I think there were times we thought to ourselves, okay, they they're they're doing they're doing enough things on the court that we we should believe. But if you just looked at this team, like there's no communication. There were not many moments where this team shared any sort of joy. And I mean look, could that have gone to the pressure? Yeah, yeah, I mean you're probably right. Because I agree with you. I think we could see that the pressure was on this team and they weren't handling it well. 
I, I thought it was first I right out of the gate. First game of the year, I looked at this team and said, yeah, this is a team that ain't going to handle this well. And then when you started getting to UNC Wilmington, or when you started getting to Gardner-Webb, and those struggles continued, and then you went out to Portland, and look, man, those are two really good teams that you lost to out there. But I go back to the first game that Carolina played out there where they struggled against a Portland team that, yeah, we thought might be pretty good this year, that team was terrible. That team was god-awful this year. And Carolina still struggled about as badly as they struggled against ACC opponents in that matchup. That That is, that is just mind-blowing. This team could not handle the pressure. And I said when they, when they suffered their first loss, I said maybe this is what loosens this team up. And they proceeded to lose four straight. That was not the plan. But it didn't. Even after that losing streak, where one of those games at the end, you didn't have Armando Baycott. So you thought, okay, they get him back. Maybe this is the moment. Maybe this is what what this team needed. Maybe now they'll wake up. And it just never happened. And it goes back to the accountability. And yeah, part of that is on Hubert Davis. The other part of it is people have to emerge in this locker room. You need leaders. Like there are some guys that have played well and it feels like that sort of inspires the other guys to play well. We saw that, I think, at times during the tournament run last year. And I think, you know, you you saw it and and we've heard that Brady Manick was – kind of a quiet leader behind the scenes. But when was the last time this team had a vocal leader that spoke up on the floor in games, that you constantly saw talking to guys, pointing things out, trying to direct people where to go? It just, it it, it hasn't happened. And with this team, there's no excuse. Because if you go back to the 1920 team, that was incredibly young. The 2019-2020 team. That was an incredibly young team for the most part. Their point guard was a freshman who got hurt in the middle of the season and missed a a good portion of the games for a team that was already struggling. But really, that, that, you know, I mean, you go back to Kobe White's year. I mean, Carolina, they just, they had, they had guys on that team. Luke Bay felt like a leader on that team. Kobe White to a certain extent, although he's a quieter guy too. But what this team really needed was they needed vocal leaders. And somebody that has been here as long as Armando Baycott, you would think that he would be that guy. It just, it doesn't seem like that is necessarily the case. He says, he says the right things for the most part until last night. I, I thought, um, and again, part of that I think is that it's it's an, it's emotional, you know. For him, who knows what's going through his mind if he's coming back or not. So some of the answers, I, I just think it's you you don't I don't know what to make of some of those answers. Some of them I think he, he probably if he had to go back and clarify them, they probably have some different meanings to what he actually said. But it just it it really does show, and I thought. People people were getting all over Taylor Vipolis about this after last night. I, I think he's 100% right that it is it is just a lack of leadership for 
this this team. They just never had that guy. They never had that player that really was a a reflection of Hubert because I don't know about y'all, I watched Hubert on the sidelines last night. He was animated the entire game. He was trying to get something out of his team. And at times, it just looked like this team had lost all of their confidence. And that was the other thing. This team never had confidence ever at any point this season. There was never a time where I felt like this team was secure with who they were and felt like we are truly going to get this turned around. They may have thought that. There may have been guys in the locker room that said, hey, we can turn it around. But I think everybody probably had that same thought in their mind, especially after that four-game losing streak. And even before that, when they were getting everybody's best and were struggling with mid-major teams, I think they got it in there. They, they, they probably knew, oh, boy, this ain't this – this ain't what we were expecting. Things are not going right. And they had no clue how to turn it around. And once they got to a certain point in the season, I think they kind of just gave up on themselves. And at times, it looked like this team was going through the motions. And that was that was last night. You mentioned great start defensively. But they couldn't score on the offensive end of the floor. And... I think that absolutely killed their confidence. And once you saw everybody but Armando or everybody but RJ Davis slump their shoulders, that was pretty that that was pretty much all all, all she wrote for this team. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. Um, and so it's just it's something that you know we knew we knew all along when when Coach Williams retired and Coach Davis took over. The program was in need of a mini rebuild and a mini overhaul. Mini is no longer the right word. This is a this is a program a year after playing for a national championship is in need of a massive a massive overhaul. If if this is going to work the way that we want it to work. And you know, I just don't think we thought that was going to be the case. We thought after this year we'd be rebuilding next year. Well, now you're you gotta you gotta just you gotta rebuild everything. You gotta rebuild what you do in practice, what you do in the off season, what you do in the games, because you know you've you've lost you've lost twenty three games in two years. That's not that's not good enough here. So it's uh you know we we've been doing this for four or five years now. We've talked about I mean we've talked about a loss in the national championship game. And I didn't feel as upset as I feel kind of right now. I was upset at the result, but you know, right now I'm upset at a, at 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 a lot of different a lot of different things. Well, because this is this is about as uncertain as we've probably felt in a long time. Because I mean, even with the the title run last year, 
you know, before that, I, I mean, there were questions. I mean, you know, you were you were of the opinion at one point during the season, and this is this is not to pile on on you or anything like that, but you were of the opinion that Carolina they they may have made the wrong hire, and then he turns it around. If they don't have that stretch, I mean, what are we what are we sitting here doing today? I mean, we're probably having a legitimate conversation about whether or not Carolina needs to move on from Hubert after two years. The thing that I think you're you're starting to get afraid, you're starting to become afraid of, is that this program will go through a stretch like we've seen recently from UCLA before Mick Cronin got there, where now it looks like they are a legitimate national title threat and they will be for a while year in and year out and and what indiana's become and that's the thing that you're you're hoping to avoid i'm not going that far yet i don't think you can say that based off of this because you still you're still talking about a team that has been to three national title games in the last eight years like they're nowhere near the area where UCLA and Indiana got to. But the concern is that it could get to that point in a modern era of basketball where, I mean, there is a lot of parity. So it's about adjusting. You're, you're right. There's no way now you don't say to yourself that you need a program overhaul. Um, I think there needs to be a hard look at this staff and there needs to be staff changes made. I, I think one of the biggest issues that you're seeing right now is that I know he wanted guys that played at Carolina, that are Carolina guys that may, that have coached there before as well with Brad Frederick and Sean May. You never should have let Steve Robinson go i know he didn't play for carolina and i know he was a roy guy but look at the value that steve robinson brought to roy williams roy williams and the thing with roy is you can never really tell roy will never give himself credit if it was up to roy he would not be in the basketball hall of fame every one of his assistants would be in there and he would not be anywhere close because roy does not want to take credit for anything it's one of the things that you know, we love, but we also hate at times about him because he's just so damn hard on himself. But Steve Robinson has shown his value. If anybody had any doubt about him with what he has done at Arizona, last year alone should have been enough. But what he's doing now this year in the second year with Arizona, like, he turned a first-year head coach last year into one of the better coaches in the country. And now that's sustaining itself. That team is set to be a two-seed again this year, at least. So, I mean, he's shown you his value. Hubert's got to look at this staff, and they got, he, he's got to really ask himself, do some of these guys have what it takes to help us get where we want to go as a program again. And if he feels the answer is no, then you have to make some tough decisions. We've, we've said that on the football side of things, that, hey, man, 
There's just guys that maybe you don't work well with. They might be great coaches, but it just doesn't work with what you're wanting to do. Maybe that's the point that it's at. And the other thing is, you talked about it earlier, second-year head coach, new landscape in college basketball. The thing that people have to also assume here, I feel like a lot of people assume that, well, you know, Hubert, Huber being a first-time head coach in the NIL era, he should know, you know, th this should be his era. So she should know what to do. Dude, he did not have to deal with any of this, even when he was a, an assistant but, but, when he was out recruiting. He never faced anything like this. This is completely new for everybody in the sport. So... Not only is he still having to figure out what it's like to be a head coach, that's still something that he's having to navigate as well. The worst thing that ever happened to him was winning a national title because people assume that all of a sudden this dude was one of the greatest coaches. This dude was right up there with Bill Self, Scott Drew, all these guys that have been coaching for years as head coaches. Everybody completely forgot that this dude had never been a head coach anywhere above the junior varsity level at the college level and came in and did what he did last year, just a miraculous run. And he deserves a, a lot of credit for that and a lot of blame for this year. But he's still learning on the fly about a ton of different elements. So I, I, I'm, you, you cannot just assume that all of a sudden, based on this year, that that's it. It's over. This program is 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 done because, I mean, look, won the same times, didn't play nearly as many games. Dude, some of the stuff that I've heard about Dean Smith early in his career and the fan base's just vitriol towards him, wanting him gone, the displays that they had at times when he would return from road games, just sickening. And look at how that turned out for the program. We would be nowhere. We wouldn't even be having this conversation right now. So maybe it's maybe it's about giving a guy a little bit of time to actually build something. But apparently in the modern day, that is not even remotely on the table. People want instant results or else the guy is just terrible and sucks. Uh, it's just... It's part of the it's part of the territory, and it doesn't make it right. Um, but as I said, when this job became available two years ago, this is a better job than one third, if not one half, of the jobs in the NBA. Like most people in the basketball community know who the head coach of Carolina is, and because of what. You know, Frank McGuire started, but then what Coach Smith, Coach Guthridge, Coach Williams carried on where you've got you've got 60 years of excellence. You've got the highest level of basketball that's that's been on display. And so it's it's just part of the territory. And um I think Hubert knows that. I don't think he has shied away from it. Um and it's it's why it's why I haven't lost faith for him. And actually, that's what really just irks my nerve about our fan base is that you know last year I was the guy that beat the table and said, "Guys, we made a mistake. We we hired the wrong guy." 
And that still very well may turn out to be true. I hope it isn't. But it could still be true. But even after everything he did last year, there's just no leash with him. And it's it's it happens virtually every time you see a a, a coach take over for a great, a guy that you know, was on the Mount Rushmore of college basketball head coaches. But, I mean, you would think a year like last year would buy Hubert Davis time and win over some people like myself, which he did, with leading this team in March like he did. But for some people, they still haven't seen enough. And that's that's why this upcoming year, there's probably a lot more pressure on him than we probably want to admit for him to to win and win really well. When you get look back at this this Virginia game, stat of the game, uh, points off turnovers was I thought the the thing. Carolina got outscored sixteen to two off of turnovers. At one point, it was thirteen nothing. It was the only reason why Virginia scored twenty five points in the first half and led. They, they they just took the ball away from us and went down the other end and scored. And we knew how important taking care of the ball was going to be in this game. Um, but we knew it when we played them two weeks ago. Carolina committed 12 turnovers, but when you shoot the way Carolina shot from three, it masked a lot of your other deficiencies in this game. We weren't able to cover up those things. So uh, with that, guys, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to get you the latest message we have from DraftKings. Then when we come back, final thoughts, final takeaways from a disappointing loss in the ACC tournament to Virginia, which most likely cuts Carolina's season short. All that's coming up next on the Four Corners Podcast, back after this message from DraftKings. NBA fans, it's time to bring the hoops action to the palm of your hand with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet $5 and win $200 in bonus bonus bets instantly. Plus, for a limited time, all new and existing customers can get a no-sweat same-game parlay every day. Go to DraftKings Sportsbook app today. Opt in and place a same-game parlay on any NBA game. And if it doesn't hit, you'll get a bonus back. Guys, I do this all the time with over-unders. I do it with the first three porn that's going to be made by Stephen Curry or, 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 or you know, John ja Morant, LaMelo Ball, whatever it is. Do all of these same-game parlay actions at DraftKings Sportsbook. And you can do so by downloading the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with the promo code TBPN. New customers can bet $5 on the NBA and get $200 in bonus bets instantly only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA with code TBPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions do apply. See show notes for details. We really hope you guys are taking full advantage of all the good offers I've been giving you here on the Four Corners podcast. Same for Anthony over there on the Heel Tough Vlog podcast. You know, when you look back at this game, I thought outside of the turnovers, the shot selection was an issue only because R.J. Davis only took 14 shots. 
I'm not even really mad that Caleb Love took 15, to be honest with you. Like, once Armando Baycott basically took himself out of the game, who else did we want shooting the ball? I didn't want Leaky Black shooting the ball, and he came out hunting his shot. Um, Pete Nance, I guess the magic of the limited Oreos wore off. I didn't want him taking any shots. But I just thought RJ needed to be more aggressive because I thought he was the best player on the floor for either team. I, I thought he had he was in the best rhythm on offense. He was getting wherever he wanted to get to, getting the shots that that he wanted to 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 get. And for the most part, they were going in. My biggest issue though was was Carolina quit competing defensively. The first eight minutes, they defended. When you give up five points in less than eight minutes, you're doing something. You're doing something right, you know. And we know Virginia is not a great offensive team, but they're they're a team that relies on being efficient. They don't do anything sexy. They use a lot of ball screens to free their guys up. They usually don't run their action until ten seconds left in the shot clock. And Carolina, the first eight minutes, did everything really well until they had the stretch of four straight turnovers. But the one adjustment I thought that should have been made, could have been made, that wasn't made, and Jay Billis really really pointed this out, was Carolina should have pressed. And the reason why was because by the time that you, you press and they advance the ball up the court, you don't have to guard their action for the full shot clock. Now you're down to about 15, 18 seconds or so. And that makes a lot of difference when the way that Virginia runs their offense, where they kind of just lull you to sleep and then they kill you with a backdoor cut or, you know, some staggered screens or whatever. When you got to do that for virtually 30, 30 seconds every time down, it gets exhausting. Whereas if you do it for 15 to 18 seconds, it's not as exhausting. And we've seen Virginia historically over the years. It's not like they handle full court pressure well anyway. So that was that was one thing that I looked at and I thought, you know, had we done this, maybe this outcome is different. Ultimately, I don't know. And then the last thing, I don't get how Dontress Styles didn't see the court last night. Yeah. I really don't. I, I don't know how a guy that had played for you in three straight games and big moments against Florida State, Duke, and Boston College and, and excelled in all three of those spots didn't get a single minute last night, especially when Baycott got out of the game and Puff Johnson was struggling like he was struggling. I mean, Puff scored three points, one of four from the field, 0 of two from three, one of two from the foul line. Four rebounds, no assists, three fouls in 19 minutes. Well, especially, dude, how in the world does he play as much as he did against Duke, a team that ran two bigs, two dudes over seven foot? So in that game, if you're telling me we can't really use him because they just have so much size, you would say, okay, well, that makes a little bit of sense. In this game, against a team that is completely undersized, not having Vanderplas didn't help that. You don't use him? Like, I don't know. To me, that seems like a matchup that he would fit even better. And then you couple in the struggles from Nance, 
on the offensive end. I thought, you know, he rebounded the ball pretty well. He had a couple of blocks again. And then, you know, Puff Johnson just overall, I thought that was one of the worst games that we've seen from Puff Johnson all year long. I did, I mean, that that's where it goes. But that's the one thing that I really understand where people are just scratching their head when it comes to Hubert and makes you think about, you know, the NIT bid, if they actually get offered, you would say, okay, well, you take it because you want to see the young guys. Would Hubert play the young guys? I just, like, with the rotations, I have no idea. So, it's, yeah, I, I don't. I don't get that at all. And you feel like he would have been able to, I mean, you had nobody else knocking down. RJ Davis was the only dude knocking down shots. Like Caleb Love, yeah, he took 15 shots. I would have liked him to take less because I would have liked RJ Davis to take just about every shot down the stretch. Because I thought what got Carolina back into the game multiple times, pretty much every time, was RJ Davis scoring the basketball. RJ Davis getting to the line. Now he left he left a couple of points on the line, and that's something that hurts for sure. But if you didn't watch that game and think that is Carolina's best player, then I don't I don't really know what to tell you. Like that's the one dude that I watched last night, and I said to myself, I want that dude back out of this starting quarter next season for sure. No questions asked. Yeah, I think everybody kind of feels that same way. Um you know, the good news is, is that we don't have to answer those questions or talk about that just yet because we still got to wait and see what happens with Selection Sunday. And if this team, you know, does accept a, 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 a NIT bid or not. Um, I just thought, you know, like last night was the best, worst example to end a disappointing season with another disappointing defeat in a game where it was there to be had and you just weren't you weren't tough enough to take control of it and that's really been the story of the season all uh, of the season all year long i mean you had nine leads in the second half of eight points or more in 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 nine of your 13 losses yep. so you know when you do when you do things like that to be honest with you you don't deserve to make the NCAA tournament you you deserve to be where you are right now, which is on the outside looking in and pretty much all but done with the way that certain results have happened around the bubble uh, here in the quarters and semis of some major some major college basketball conference tournaments. So, um, can I say one last thing about this? By the way, you look at last night after the game. We talked about the locker room setting. There was one guy from this program that I saw after the game tearing up, clearly heartbroken by what happened this season. And that was the head coach of the team walking off the floor. None of the players looked like that. So if you question Hubert Davis and you think, well, he just didn't really want to turn this season around. He didn't really care. If you ever question whether or not Hubert Davis cares, then I don't, I, I mean, you're just, you're just a moron. 
Like I, 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 there is, there is nobody that you could have picked out as a head coach that I think cares more about this program than Hubert Davis. We saw it when he was an assistant when they lost in 2016. That dude was absolutely bawling his eyes out. Now, does it mean that he is ultimately, in the end, the best guy for the job? Does it automatically mean that he is going to have success? No. But if people want to keep questioning Hubert Davis, you better not question how much this dude wants to win here, how much he cares about the success of this program. Because it seems like a lot of people don't want to put that element into it at all. It seems like people want to say he doesn't really care what happens to this program when that's not even remotely close to the truth. And you saw some of those comments in the postgame from the players that kind of told it all right there, that these guys are ready to be done with this season. I know Hubert trying to sell his team, you know, in the in the presser when C.L. Brown asked him why this team should be in the tournament. It didn't, I mean, he he probably doesn't believe this team should be in the tournament. But he tried to find some way to, to, to get people to still consider them. If you would have asked the players that, I think there might have actually been players that told you, I, we're not, we, we don't deserve to play in the tournament. I don't think there was any fight. The, the, the one guy that showed fight the whole year and tried to turn things around, no matter what, was the head coach of this team. That's what I'm going to leave you with. And with that, guys, this is going to wrap up this edition of the podcast. We do encourage you guys to visit the website. That's HeelToughBlog.com, where you can go back and read about Carolina's loss to Virginia in the ACC quarterfinals. Um, there's also a recruiting article about a 24 prospect set to commit next week. And of course, we'll have you covered with whatever comes out of Selection Sunday, whether Carolina makes the field, whether Carolina goes to NIT, no matter what it is. We'll have you covered here. That's HeelToughBlog.com. As for the podcast, guys, you know where to find us. Every major podcasting platform. Just simply search the Four Corners podcast and we will pop up. We're there. We encourage you guys to rate and review the pod. But more importantly, guys, we want you guys to hit that subscribe button. It's going to be a very busy, a very important offseason in Chapel Hill. And we're going to have you covered to make sure you hit that subscribe button. That way you don't miss any of editions of the show throughout the uh, the basketball offseason. But with that, guys, this is going to wrap up this edition of the show. I do want to thank Anthony for hosting with me. We want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels! Get any sweeter than that!